Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn to Psalm 112 for me, please? We are ringing a little bit here, if you could take this down. He's leaving now, he's had enough of me. <laughs> We've been, uh, over the last number of weeks, just walking through this psalm, and uh, many of you have come and said you found the practical things that we've been discussing quite helpful, so I'm praying this morning that God will continue to do that for us. But um, we've declared this summer a summer in the Psalms. So while we're looking at this particular Psalm, in the next month we'll also be looking at some of the Psalms together. And uh, Jane and I go on holiday for a few weeks, and so you've got the wonderful Pastor Becca preaching on the Psalms for two weeks. Um, She'll be here. Uh, Hopefully she's driving back from Wales and be back with us tomorrow. She's been on a week's annual leave. But let's read this together. Praise the Lord. Oh. Praise Him. <laughs> Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in His commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns upon the upright for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of gas bills, Their hearts will be steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be filled high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. And all God's people said amen Amen. and hallelujah. So we've been looking at this psalm over the last couple of weeks and um, just to remind you a little bit about why I think it's important. I love the fact that this person isn't named. It's there's no way of identifying this individual. For me, I think that's such a precious thought that while the world may not applaud how you live or how you uh, delight yourself in God, God sees, God sees, and God knows. And your life before Him is so precious. You're rising up, you're going out, you're coming in. Everything about your life has drawn, maybe not the attention of people, maybe we all think that's the better route, but actually I would much rather my name be known in heaven than it forever to be known here on earth. And someone will say, well, you've got your wish. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's very kind of you. So we've been looking at this unknown man who lived a a spectacular life. And uh, we realize there are some principles by which he lived that we can all learn from. The first one is found in verse 1. He starts this whole declaration with this truth, a truth that's, for me, such a profound truth and will absolutely contain for us many, many opportunities to explore its fullness as we do this and more practically explore this. He starts by saying this, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And we said, didn't we, that if we practice that kind of orientation of heart 
on a daily basis, on a regular basis, in a consistent way, that actually we would be attracting the favor and the blessing of God. And it's true to say that while we may think God inhabits our prayers, in fact, the Bible teaches us that God inhabits the praises of his people. And if you want to attract favor to your life or live in the fullness of the life that Jesus has indeed already provided for you, I want to encourage you to praise the Lord all the time all the time, in every circumstance, in every situation, praise the Lord. Because whether your life is good or your circumstance is bad, your God is incredible. He is absolutely incredible. And so we calibrate our hearts consistently on a daily basis to live in the atmosphere of the blessing and the fullness and the goodness of God. And we do so in a very practical way by praising God. Now, that's not something left for the church. It's not something we do at the beginning of a meeting. We are meant to offer our bodies as living sacrifice, a holy act of worship in a consistent and persistent way throughout every part of our lives. And I encourage you, when you live with that orientation, you will find you will see God at work in so many situations in your life. You're calibrating your heart and your eyes will be opened to see just how powerful and capable God really is. So we'll just practice it for the week ahead. One, two, three. Oh, your miseries, your miseries, your miseries. Let's, let's try that with a little bit more intentionality. One, two, three. Amen. We're getting there. The second principle he lived by is the principle that he already knew he was blessed. I think so often in our lives we're chasing blessings. We think blessings maybe are material wealth and the stuff that the world thinks is valuable. You can have all the Louis Vuittons in the world and your heart can be dead. Do you know the greatest blessing for us? is that Jesus is with us. For me, above everything I have, and everything I have is, is significant now at this stage, and all the people who love me and all the people who haven't made up their mind, the one thing above all things that's the most powerful reality for me is that I am in, because of Jesus, a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If God never lifted a finger to do anything more for me, I am already blessed. I am blessed to the core of my being because it's a blessing to have Jesus in your life. Amen? Amen. But also, God wants to bless us in material ways. He wants to bless us in practical ways. Our relationships are a blessing to us. Most of them. Some of them. Occasionally, our jobs are a blessing to us. Our families are a blessing to us. When you praise the Lord, you will find that you notice all the good things that God has done for you. If you don't praise the Lord, you'll just focus on the things that God hasn't yet done for you. Okay? So praise the Lord because you have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And you are living in that blessing, which is the, the unity and the precious reality of God in our lives. And around you, God has blessed you in so many ways. And you know, one of the greatest things that shifts culture and opens up the possibility for God to work miraculously is when the people of the Lord have acclined their eyes and their ears to the reality of the goodness of God. When David the psalmist says this, I would have lost heart had I not seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
God is at work in the person next to you. He's working on the person in the bus. You can find out from Tom's story. He's working in the lady who was at the hospital and the lady who was at the shop and his friend. God is always at work everywhere. The problem isn't is God at work. The problem is I can't see. And I can't see because I'm not living in the constant reality of praising the Lord. When I praise God, I start to see him in all kinds of situations. The scriptures tell us to count our blessings. Why? Because if you don't incline your heart to counting your blessings, you will be preoccupied with your problems. And trust me, your problems really are just opportunities for more blessing in your life. The third thing we see from this man is that he delighted greatly in the commandments of the Lord. Verse 1. It's a big thing for me to talk about this because I think so often we have made such a, a, a kind of I suppose God, if you like, out of the Bible itself. But actually, I want to say to you about the Bible, the Bible itself is not the only thing that God works through. As you look around you, you will find that God works through creation. In fact, many people come to faith without ever reading the Bible or hearing a scripture because God does not just leave it to chance or to coincidence. He has allowed the whole world to be a signpost to the fact that he's the creator. And whether I like that truth or not, that's the reality of what's happening. God works through people. We just heard a story early on of a young man whose father has been away from the Lord for many, many years, much prayer, and in a moment, a very tender moment where his whole life is in jeopardy, God begins to work through people. But delighting in the law of the Lord or delighting in the word of the Lord is not reading it on your app. It's not even doing intense Bible studies because some of the most miserable people I've ever met know the Bible inside and out. There's one thing to read the Word of God. There's a whole other thing for the Word of God to manifest itself in you. And we have somehow, in our Western way of thinking, allowed ourselves to be educated in regard to where the Scriptures are, but the Scriptures have not made the impact on us that God intended them to. The Word needs to be made flesh and have its dwelling amongst us. God desires for His Word to be made manifest in your life. And that will never happen if you just read. It doesn't come from that kind of orientation. You have to delight. And when you delight in the Word of God, you, it's His final word on all matters pertaining to your life. You're not looking for advice from this person or that person. God said, and therefore it truly is. Do you know when Peter stepped out of the boat to walk on the water, that great story? We get so distracted, don't we, by some other things. But actually, Peter wasn't walking on water at all. Peter was walking on the invitation from the Word to come to him. The Word of God is the solid and most precious foundation any Christian can have in their life. And it's not advice that God is giving through His Word. It's commands and direction. God is not up for a conversation about whether you should or you shouldn't do certain things. He has told you certain things bring life and certain things bring death. And we need to delight in the law of the Lord. We need to celebrate the Word of God. We need to allow the Word of God to permeate every part of our mind and our heart and our lives so we become living, breathing examples of the reality of the precious Word of Jesus. That went well. Amen. Principle four, impact and influence. His descendants will be mighty on earth. Do you know that God desires to use the choices that you make the, the, the wonderful way in which you live for him as an example to the people around you. I think for many of us, we fail in this so miserably. But I just want to remind you that people are watching. 
people are watching. You know, many of us in this room, we've gone back and we've told our friends and our families how good Jesus is and that we're worried and petrified because the gas is going up. We've said things like God is my provider and my healer and yet we've not really believed that God will bring healing to us physically at all. We need to watch what we say and we need to live what we believe. And it's so important, this particular principle is so important because I know many, many times in my life I've been caught out with this. Let me give you an example. I remember one time I was asked to, to give up singing and I went from earning 500 pounds a week to 24 pounds 32 or whatever it was. <laughs> Bless the Lord. And um, I was here at the church. I had a Porsche car. I couldn't put petrol in it. I didn't know how to supply that. And uh, I remember going to my mom and I said to my mom, you know, could I borrow a fiver off you? I need to get over the church. Oh, no, she said. She said, I thought the Lord was providing. <laughs> thought he was providing now. I thought you were a Christian. One of them, they're Christians. <laughs> thought he was providing. You know, and she was right. Because I had said, oh, God will give. God blesses. God brings increase. All that kind of stuff. And she was waiting to see whether what I said was actually a reality. Another time with her, I was riddled with the flu, absolutely shaking. You know, like rattling, really. And uh, I went to her and said, Mom, I had no money because I'd given up working. I worked for the church. They worked me so hard, by the way. I'm just telling you. Not that I'm bitter. They just worked me so hard. And I remember saying to her, you, don't, you, you haven't got any medicine, ma'am. Ah, I thought the Lord was your healer. That the Lord was your healer. I said, you know, ma'am, he is. And I walked, I think it was about five miles, all the way from Edgebaston or Ladybird area where we lived, over to this church. And I was greeted at the door by a gentleman who was a steward back then. And he said to me, I wondered where you've been. Have you gone back to your old life? He said, you've got long hair again and an earring in. I thought, praise the Lord. It's my mother at home and these people at church. <laughs> I'd just be better living on the street. <laughs> I thought, what, what, what would you want to be part of that for? And I thought, no, I'm not going to be offended by what he said. I need to meet with God. And in that meeting that night, it was over in the little center across the road. The Spirit of God fell upon my life, and I was radically healed of whatever, you know, flu or thing. I went home rejoicing. And somebody gave me five pounds. <laughs> so I was rejoicing doubly, double rejoicing. How you live is what people see, not what you say. You say God is your healer. Then is he? Align yourself with that reality. If you say God is your peace, then align yourself with that reality. We must make sure that we're living with integrity regarding the matters that we pertain to be true. For without it, we become hypocrites in the eyes of other people and everything we say becomes hollow and irrelevant. Turn up, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And there's a couple of options. If you don't want to be examined, then probably the best thing to do is go to glory. Because everybody is watching everybody all the time. If God is good, then let him be good when the gas increases. I think he's still good, isn't he? Even though the prices are hiked up to the, the nines. Keep a consistency in the way that you live, and it will clearly influence those around you. Number five, principle number five, he thought generationally. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Do you know, the day that you gave your heart to Jesus, your family line changed forever. 
Maybe before that there were some people who knew Jesus. Maybe there were some people who didn't like Jesus. But the day you got born again, the day that your heart was surrendered to God, you changed the destiny of those who are coming after you. The possibility for them to know Jesus has gone off the scale now. And when we think of ourselves, I think this is something to do with, with the age that we're living in. We, and I think it's actually a demonic thing, but that's another subject. I think we've become so preoccupied with ourselves. I think we think about ourselves all the time. We have our own, you know, agendas. We, you know, there's these little phrases that have come out in society, because I'm worth it. Buy shampoo. It doesn't matter whether you're worth it or you're not worth it. Do you know what I mean? What, what has that got to say about your value? If your value is based <laughs> on shampoo, you've got more serious problems than being worth it. Trust me, you, you've got insecurities untold there. So, so I believe for us it's so important that we think generationally. It's so important that we think beyond ourselves. It's so important that we think what God is going to do through our bloodline because God has blessings. I know the enemy has curses, but God has blessings. He wants to pass on. And I love Jane's story and the family and her grandfather who got saved one night for a bet, for a five-pound bet. He went in as a drunk and came out as a born-again radical believer. I love the fact that his 13 children, men and women now grown and old, older than me, have now got children and all of them have been connected to the reality of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that in a moment, a movement of the Holy Spirit can take place. And so we need to think a little bit beyond ourselves. Principle five, abundance, wealth and riches will be in his house. Psalm 112 verse three. I know there are some people in the church that think that poverty is really holiness. You know, I remember when I first started in ministry, I think one of the elders said to me, we'll keep you humble and God will keep you poor. I thought, I'm just going to reverse the curse. Is that okay? I remember I had a house. I gave the house away because God told me to do so. I had a car. I gave the car away. And these are things that were so important to me at the time. And um, I remember standing with two friends of mine, the two gentlemen that led me to Jesus. Can I have that water, please, Jane? And I was standing in Habitat. Do you know Habitat? I used to work for Habitat as a, as a merchandiser, and I'm standing there, and all these lovely things are everywhere, and I remember standing there with them and thinking, I'll never have a house. I'll never, you know, if you go into ministry, you're poor, aren't you? That was the equation in my head. And I remember standing, walking around with them, picking up these bits and pieces that I would have loved to have owned, but didn't have the money to buy. And I felt God say to me, do not come into partnership with anything that's related to poverty because I desire to bless you. I desire to bless you. And so in that moment, I said to my friends, look, I know this is strange, but I wonder would you just pray for me? We're standing in the middle of Habitat, these two guys and me. Just pray God will bless me. You know, in every situation we've ever found ourselves in, we started with nothing, as most people do. God has blessed and brought an increase and brought, you know, we've lived in houses people like us shouldn't live in. Because I'm trailer trash, you know what I'm saying? I remember the first day when we bought this Georgian house, this rundown Georgian house in, in three and a half acres of land, turning into the drive, and, and the first thought that came to me was this, how did we end up here? I was raised in a caravan. You know, people like me don't live in places like that. 
But when the Lord's favor is on your life, I'm telling you, you need to hear this. Someone needs to hear this today. Do not let the pattern of this world confine or restrict what God can do. You stay humble and you stay expectant because God desires to bless. You might end up, even a lizard can live on the palace walls. Amen? It doesn't matter where you start from. You can live somewhere in blessing. And I think it's important for the church to be blessed because we are being blessed so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. There are resources that God wants to bless the church with that can resource and bring life to the community in which he's placed us. So any poverty mindset about what you think God wants to do in your life, you really have to take every thought captive and every vain imagination that sets itself up against the purposes of God. What are the purposes of God? The plans I have for you, says the Lord, are to prosper and to bless you, to give you a hope and to ensure you have a future. Someone say amen. Principle number seven, righteousness, and his righteousness endures forever. Of course, we know that what the psalmist is alluding to is the righteousness of God. But actually, one of the things that we need to be aware of is this, that God has both communicable and non-communicable attributes. There are certain attributes of God that can never be true of ourselves. So let me give you an example. You're not and will never be omnipresent. I know in your workplace people think you should be. Okay, you should be here, there, and everywhere. And I think I'm doing the door and leading the worship and preaching, so I feel I'm working in that particular realm at the moment. But I can never be everywhere at the same time. Amen. Some of you are so grateful to God, aren't you, for that truth? Oh, thank God he's not here. I can never be everywhere at the same time. I can never be omnipotent. I can never be all-powerful. I can have a measure of that, but I can never be all-powerful. But I can be righteous. Jesus said to his disciples, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes, it's not the righteousness that comes from right living and right standing with God. And what we're talking about in righteousness is not you trying to be good in your own strength. It's you realizing that good has moved in and taken over your life. It's you the understanding that the one who is in you is greater than anything around you. That you don't have to make the choices that you used to make because you're compelled to do so. You are not an addict to anybody else's opinion. Hallelujah, you've been set free. And you don't have to keep on repeating the sin you've been involved with because who the Son sets free is free indeed. A righteousness has been imparted to you. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't get it by coming to church and you won't get more of it because you become a deep king. None of that happens. I remember the day I got ordained thinking, surely I'll feel more holy. I was bored out of my brain. <laughs> bored. I mean, how many times can you hear people say the same things over and over again and think it's fresh and new? But the reality was I didn't walk with a skip. I didn't change. Nothing changed for me at all except this, that in my heart of hearts I said, God, use my life extensively for your purposes. You see, our righteousness is not us trying to be good. It's the good God working in us, changing us and transforming us from the inside out. He who is in you is greater than anything around you. And if you let God be God, you will look like him. You will act like him. You will turn up in society and reflect him. Now, that's where we've been. This is where we're going. Look at verse 4. This is another principle that this righteous man lived by. Unto the upright, there arises light in the darkness. To the upright, those who are walking in righteous ways with God, there will be in moments of great adversity, incredible opportunity for the revelation of God's reality to become something that we're clear about. 
Now, let me give you an example of this. I chatted with a young man a couple of weeks ago. Um, he came here, actually. He helped us out with something, and he asked if he could see me privately because he wanted to talk about his future. He's got all of this talent and all of these abilities and these callings in his life. And so I met with him. It was wonderful. Nando's is great. Do you know like Nando's? I love Nando's. I think I should go every day for all my pastoral visits to Nando's and then on to hospital for the cardiac arrest. But the... <laughs> Well, you can use the same car, can't you? It's economy. Um, but I met with him, and I'm chatting with him, and we're talking about this dream in his heart. He wanted to get engaged this week, just gone. You know, he's been caught in this young lady. They're walking with God, both of them. Just a wonderful story. And um, he said, you know, he had this thought that God wanted to use his musical abilities in all kinds of ways. And, and so we're chatting about that and what that could turn into. And this young man has stuff all over YouTube and is kind of wanted by all kinds of people. He's a very capable musician. And, and as I think one of his songs actually was played during the Commonwealth Games here. He's, we're not talking somebody who's starting out. There's somebody well-established. And uh, he's asking for advice on, on, on ministry and what God's calling him to. Do you know, within five hours of us having that conversation, five hours he was rushed into hospital because he has an underlining condition called Crohn's. And, and as a result of that, sometimes he bleeds extensively and, and his body really starts to kind of break down a little bit. He's not able to function uh, coherently. And so he's rushed into hospital. And uh, he texts me to say, you know, could you please pray for me, Pastor Simon, because he calls me by my first name. And uh, I texted him back and said, of course I pray for you. And uh, he explained, you know, I can't believe this is happening. And so the following morning, I text him again, see how he's doing, and he says he's got worse. And so I'm praying for him, and I, I'm you know, just asking the Lord, what do I say? And it's difficult to say things over the phone when people are in hospital. And so I text him back, and I said, ah, dot, 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 dot. I realize what's happening. You're stepping towards your destiny and the enemy is throwing adversity at your feet. Here's what you do. Praise God. Just praise God. Do you know that breakthrough doesn't just come through prayer? This is so important. God can only do through praise certain things that don't happen through prayer. Prayer is about you speaking to God about something. Praise is about you celebrating who God is. And God inhabits the praises of his people. So some battles are not fought through prayer. They're fought extensively through praise. And in fact, if we're really going to be honest about this, God's preferred weapon of warfare, whatever you're fighting for, is always praise. That's why this psalm starts with praise the Lord. It's the root of all the things that come out of that. So I text him and said, you know, it's interesting that you're talking about destiny and adversity comes. And I reminded him of something the Lord showed me many years ago, that when there's about to be a breakthrough and God's glory is about to move on someone's life, the enemy, who is an eternal being, by the way, and understands some of the ways of God, actually sets things up to cause adversity. And here's what happens. Most Christians say, well, this can't be God because it's not good. Do you know, one of my favorite scriptures is, is where Jesus uh, is coming to the earth and Mary has conceived him. And, uh, you know, it says of Mary, of all women, she was most highly favored. Okay, and what we think that means is the best seat in the house. Or flying first class on EasyJet. 
or having favor with certain people means we have positions and pos do you know Mary had ridiculous adversity she had adversity from her husband Joseph she had adversity from her family she had adversity from her community so don't ever mistake adversity as being just from the devil and not the purposes of God. Something happens to a Christian in the midst of adversity that prepares them and gets them ready for the glory of God. Adversity, if you understood how the Spirit worked, you would thank God. You would say, you think that giant's big? Send me another one, Jesus. And the direct capacity you have to resist adversity means the stature of the overcoming reality of Christ becomes visible and tangible in your life. You shouldn't be praying for smaller enemies. You should be praying for bigger enemies. Because if you overcome a giant, then you can overcome anybody. And it's always interesting to me as Christians that we always think that we're going to arrive at these places of, of, of fullness and blessing without any adverse circumstances or any cost to ourselves. You know, if God's going to bless us, then hurry up. What you, what's keeping you, Jesus? So anybody here who's got a degree, give me a wave if you've been to university. Don't be ashamed of it. I know it's common now. but. You didn't rock up on the first day of university and expect a certificate, did you? You didn't think, oh, I won't bother going to the classes or reading the books or sitting the exams. You know, my God is good. He's able to do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. You didn't do any of that, did you? You, you probably studied, yeah? You probably turned up for things, yeah? And I would imagine as a young person, if you did this when you were young, getting out of bed was a bit of a chore. Going to bed was less of a chore. Getting out of bed was a little bit of a chore. Having to be diligent and disciplined in your reading was not your favorite thing. I mean, you didn't wake up in the morning and think, oh, how wonderful, economics for nine hours. <laughs> Praise the living God. None of that would have happened. In the adversity, you were prepared and being trained for the graduation ceremony that was going to come in a few years' time. You cannot graduate unless you do the work. And the same principle is true in the kingdom of God. We want everything to come our way, but we don't want to go God's way. And we don't want to fight for anything. We want everything handed to us on a plate. Do you know adversity is your best friend? When you have adverse circumstances, rise in those moments and praise God. Because when adversity comes behind it is glory. God wants to break through in glory. Adversity is to your advantage. The resistance is really good for you. Apparently, if you go to the gym, <laughs> sorry, if you go to the gym, the fitter you become, the more weights you can lift. But it starts, doesn't it? And if you're me, you're probably facing backwards on the treadmill. That's the kind of person I am. I've never been to a gym. Okay? But the reality is you're not expecting to be bogged up and, 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 and buff and whatever else you think those words look because you've popped in, put the tracksuit on and used the showers. You're going to have to get on the machine. You're going to have to press against some resistance. And the better you get at pressing against resistance, the cleaner and leaner your physique becomes. The same is true in spiritual terms. We want breakthroughs without ever breaking anything. Not even a sweat. We want to overcome without ever overcoming anything. And, you know, when I talk about adversity, I'm not talking about the fact that you queued for 10 minutes at something. 
I'm talking about full-on onslaught from the enemy. Is anyone here in this room today that's struggling with adversity at the moment? Because I want to celebrate you. Stand up for us, please. Anybody having adverse circumstances? Now, I want everybody else to go wild, clap your hands, and shout hallelujah over their life. Just do it. Just do it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. That's not celebration. Amen. Just stay standing for a minute. Your adversity is not the devil trying to destroy you. It's God preparing you for what he has for you. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Your adversity is not a sign to you that God's not happy with you. It's a sign to you that you're heading in the right direction and the enemy is not happy with you. Do not cave in. Do not shrink back. Do not step away. But stand firm in the truth of who Jesus is because his promises are both yes and amen. Adversity is the place where history is shaped and formed. As you stand in the reality of Jesus, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of all you have in Jesus, you are being made into this glorious weapon of mass destruction that God will use many, many times to tear down the strongholds of the enemy. And when you're standing in adversity, you're creating a pathway for those who are coming behind you. There are others who won't have to fight the same battles you fought because you have taken the head off the giants. Adversity is not the enemy of the church. In fact, the church was at its best when it was persecuted. At its best. We've become too soft. We're like chocolate teapots. We melt at the first sign of heat. God is training people's fingers for war. He's training our hearts for battle. There's much to take. This city belongs to Jesus. I mean, don't listen to the propaganda. He owns all of it, even my house and yours. And he wants it back but he's waiting for people who won't shrink back from adversity, but will take captivity captive and will win those battles and, and take that land for Jesus' sake. Amen? Amen? Now, I'm going to finish with this because I'm bored with myself. It says, Unto the upright there arises light in the dark place. Light has two attributes. The first thing it does is expel darkness. And the light that's being referred to here is revelation. And it's so important when we're in the middle of a battle that we get revelation. If we don't get revelation from God in the middle of a battle, we will use our human strength to contend for something that can only be received through understanding, not through physical effort. So in the midst of adversity, we stop we stop fighting, we stop worrying, we stop allowing ourselves to be caught up in the adverse circumstances. You have to step away from some things in the midst of adversity to hear and to see and to understand what the Spirit of God is trying to show you. And light always refers in the Scriptures to revelation. It's God opening up something that at the moment we ask for it, we probably can't see very clearly. So when we hear in the midst of the battle or the adverse circumstances something from God or we read something that we believe is from God or we sense something that's from God, we now have weapons that are not carnal for the tearing down of strongholds. We have a supernatural reality, a supernatural capacity. You know, when God reveals anything to you, it's a currency. 
you can apply it. So, I've said this a number of times and some of you don't like it, but I don't really believe that Christians have problems. I think they have promises. And everybody has problems and Jesus said to us, do not lose heart because the world is full of strife and difficulty and you will have them too. But he uses this phrase, take heart. In other words, see it differently. Take hold of your heart as it's in the middle of the raging warfare that you're experiencing. Do not be intimidated by all that the enemy is throwing at you. When everything looks like it's falling apart, am I not the God who established the heavens? When you feel like your life is torn apart by things people say, am I not the one who spoke and said, let there be light? Did I not create you or knit you together in your mother's womb? Have I not fashioned you from the very heart of who I am so that you could be all that you could be? You have to turn your problem into your promise. That's your responsibility. That's what it means to take heart. Of course we have difficulties. I'm not stupid. I don't like people living in a fake reality. Life is hard, but I've got better news for you than that. God is really good. And however hard life is, however hard life is, God is way better, way greater, far more good than you can ask, imagine, or even think. So that light comes on and you realize, I'm not in this on my own. That light comes on and you realize God made a promise to me 20 years ago. It has yet to be fulfilled and he says his word will not return to him void, but will accomplish what he set out to do. When the light turns on, it expels the darkness. You can't partner with fear and anxiety and trouble and strife because it's not your reality. Your reality is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You have a king that has a cattle on a thousand hills. You're worried about a gas bill. Let him slaughter one and send you the money. So you will have difficulties. I'm not pretending you don't. I have them too, probably more than you realize. But I try to live in and from my promises because my promises are yes and amen. And tell, let me tell you this, church, it's the only sure place for us to live our lives. And that is what God is trying to do in the church. You know, we've been so touchy-feely and emotional. We need to get back to some God-given truths. His word is truth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will remain. It's not what you feel about it. It's what he says about it that matters. Amen? Amen. The second thing it does is it not only expels light, it reveals original design. So in the midst of the adverse circumstance, when you hear the voice of God or you sense that God is speaking, all of that other stuff you're partnering with, get rid of, and now start to partner with what God wants to see come to pass. God always has a plan. always has a plan. I haven't got a clue, but he has a plan. Amen? I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow, but he knows the end before the beginning. He always has a plan. I think some people are good, and I think some people need to be avoided. He always has a plan. He knows who's who, and he knows what's what. He knows everything about everyone, and he's always the most brilliant at finding a way forward. How many times have you been in your life in a place where you could not find a way forward and this truth became your reality as your soul was illuminated to the truth of Jesus? He made a way where there appeared to be no way. If he can call a desert and cause life to come to it, he can speak into your situation through revelation and bring change and transformation. 
It's not enough to say amen and nod your head. We must apply these things to the way we live our lives. So if you've got a problem this week, you've got an opportunity. If you've got adversity this week, you're about to be hit in the face with God's glory. If you think the enemy is after you, lift your hands before God and celebrate and praise Him because the enemy has limited resources and doesn't wait them on people who haven't got something to attain or accomplish. And remember this, praise is always God's preferred weapon of warfare. Praise your way through the desert. Praise your way through the dark night of the soul. Praise your way through the cancer. Praise your way through the sickness. Praise your way through the relationship problem. Praise your way through everything. And you'll find that not only do you attract the presence of God, but you will access the power of God. And God's power is always made available to those who praise Him. Stand. We're going to ask Jonathan just to pray a blessing over us as we head out to our week. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for this wonderful day. We thank you so much as we heard today that, Lord, your word is truth. And God, as we're reminded that your word, Lord, is the sword of the spirit. And Lord, we just pray that as we go out into this day, as we go out into this week, as we go out to the rest of this month of August and into a new month by your grace, may we walk by your truth. May we sit and listen to your truth. And Lord, may we follow the commands in the book of James that we will not just be heroes of your word, but doers of your word. Lord, I pray that we may be reminded of the promises that you have made in our lives. That Lord God, when adversity comes, when challenges comes, when suffering comes, where issue comes, Lord, let us not focus on the issues, but keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And as we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, as we remember your truth and promises, as we remember the gospel and what you have done and knowing that you are good, may we praise you every single day of our lives knowing that the Lord is good and his mercies endures forever. I pray that, Lord, you may encourage my brothers and sisters here today with your truth. I pray that, Lord, you will hold their hands, Lord, just as you held the hands of Israel, Lord, and you led them out of Egypt, Lord, into the promised land. Father, I pray you may hold your daughter's hand, your son's hand, and lead them out, oh Lord, through the adversity they are going through. I pray that, Lord, you may lead them out of the chains that they may be chained by. I pray that you may lead them out, Lord, out of the difficulties difficulties and uncertainties they are going through by your mighty hand Lord and that Lord they will come to this stage or they will share with a friend or share with a family or shout from the rooftops that the Lord has delivered me that the Lord has set me free that the Lord has blessed me and that I will praise the Lord the days of our lives and that Lord we can declare that we have truly seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and God, many shall know that you are the Lord, that many shall turn back to you, that, Lord, you will turn the sons to the fathers, that, Lord, you will turn the daughters to the mothers, that, Lord, you will turn families into unity, and that, Lord, many shall know that you are good. Father, we pray, let not we just say it, Lord, help us to live it. Because, Lord, we are believers in Christ, not just people that say the name of Christ. So, Father Almighty, may you lead us in this day. And may we live by your Holy Spirit, by your truth and your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Have a great week. And fight your battles really well. You know, the scriptures tell us that we should fight the good fight. What's a good fight? One you're guaranteed to win. Okay, and if you keep rejoicing and celebrating, you're guaranteed to win. Bless you, church. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon. Soon.